Okay. Three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Today is Saturday, March 16th. And uh, today's my birthday. I uh, actually am finally 22 years old. I've been telling people I'm 22. I've been doing interviews all week saying I'm 22 for about a week now. Uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm a sophomore in college. I got three years left, three years left of college football. And uh, I just love where I'm at and what I'm doing. Uh, we have a great show today. We're going to talk about Dwayne Haskins. We will break down Dwayne Haskins in depth. We're going to do a Jimmy Garoppolo breakdown. We'll talk about NFL free agency. Um, there's a lot of good stuff coming up. I mean, Ryan Tannehill was traded to the Titans. I don't know what to make of that at all, really. I'm very bizarre. It's very weird and bizarre that that happened. Uh, so much news. I mean, really, the whole final half of the show really is just a bunch of NFL news, free agency stuff, trades, whatever. Um, but I want to start today with this. Dwayne Haskins is the former Ohio State quarterback, and uh, many, many people believe he is the best quarterback in the 2019 NFL draft. Ah, I, I don't think so. I, I, I don't see him that way. Uh, I do really like him. I see Dwayne Haskins having success at some level in the NFL. Uh, there's a lot of good things to say about Dwayne Haskins. He does a lot of good stuff. Uh, it, it's really obvious watching film. Dwayne Haskins has an incredible work ethic. I really, really respect that about him. His footwork is fantastic. He's really coachable. He's very detailed. He's got does all the little things right. Um, and he makes really good decisions. I mean, he had 50 touchdowns, eight interceptions, it's, it's really hard to look at that and go, hmm, does he make good decisions? We know. It's not an accident he played so well last year and had such good statistics last year. Um, and really, I want to start with this. There are three plays I want to immediately highlight that I, I guarantee these three plays are not plays anybody else would highlight uh, to start off a film session. But these are three plays. They're kind of mundane. They're kind of small. But they really show at great depth what Dwayne Haskins does and who he is as a quarterback. I mean, everybody wants a guy with a gigantic arm that can make every single throw. But that, I don't know, sometimes it's the throws you don't make that define you and that really show who you are. Against TCU, it's first and 10, and Ohio State's trying to set up a screen. It's not there. Dwayne Haskins simply just throws the ball away, throws the ball into the stands. It's fantastic. Against Indiana, another play later, second and 10, they're on their own four-yard line, on their own four-yard line. The screen is covered. Dwayne Haskins throws the ball into the dirt. I like this. I really, really like this. It shows patience. It shows decision-making. He doesn't force it downfield. He doesn't force it into coverage. He gets rid of the ball, throws it away. I lo- that's fantastic, especially on a screen. You'd never want to throw a screen into coverage. That's a terrible idea. Now, there's another play against Michigan. Ohio State has three wide receivers on the right side of the field, one wide receiver on the left. And there's man coverage on the left side of the field. What that means is that the corner on the left is going to follow the wide receiver wherever he goes. Ohio State runs a mesh concept. What this means is that there are two short routes that will cross each other in the middle of the field. The guy on the left runs to the right side of the field. The guy on the right runs to the left side of the field. And because of man coverage, the defender chases his receiver all the way across the field, leaving a giant void on the left side of the field. Dwayne Haskins is smart. He recognizes this. He sees all of it. He goes, oh my gosh, Michigan is out of position. He throws the ball underneath to his guy who is heading towards the left side of the field, hits his guy in stride. It leads to a very easy touchdown. At, at a, a, from a glance, from far away, it looks like, oh, wow. Dwayne Haskins threw an easy pass. His receiver did all the work. A simple touchdown. But it's the simple, small details behind this throw. You know, recognizing Michigan's coverage, throwing an accurate pass, making sure his guy catches it in stride. It's a five-yard throw. It's not flashy. It's small, it's subtle, and it's a fantastic Fantastic touchdown. That defines Dwayne Haskins in a nutshell. He does all the little things right. It's also worth noting Dwayne Haskins is not a running quarterback. I've heard people say that. It drives me nuts. It's wildly wrong. He is not a running quarterback. If he needs to run for five or six yards, he can. But he's a pocket passing quarterback. He's not a running quarterback. You will not build an offense around Dwayne Haskins' ability to run the football. He's about as mobile as Sam Darnold. He's not going to run a lot. He can run for five yards if he needs to on third and two, but he's not at all a running quarterback. Now, many, many people compare Dwayne Haskins to other top quarterback prospect, Kyler Murray. 
you know, Dwayne Haskins threw for over, he threw for 4,831 yards, 50 touchdowns, 5-0, and 8 interceptions. Kyler Murray had less. Kyler Murray had only, <laughs> only 4,361 yards, 42 touchdowns, and 7 interceptions. People have told me this. Well, look at Dwayne Haskins' stats. Aren't they wildly better? First of all, that's silly, right? You're going to look at stats and say that he's a better quarterback because of his numbers. I think that's a really, really poor way to determine what makes a good quarterback. It's not the numbers. There's so much more that goes into playing quarterback other than statistics. But second, if you want to just talk about statistics, Kyler Murray also had another 1,000 yards rushing and 12 more touchdowns running the football, right? He had more yards overall than Dwayne Haskins did in 2018. And here's what I see on film. Dwayne Haskins' stats are inflated by screen passes. He throws really short five-yard passes to get turned into really long gains and allowed his numbers to go up by a lot. So I knew what, the, what happened in the Penn State game before I watched it. Against Penn State, Dwayne Haskins led a 96-yard touchdown drive in the fourth quarter to take the lead and win the ball game. And I knew that was going to happen. I was very excited to watch. Ooh, what's going to happen? How is he going to have this long drive? I knew it was going to happen. I didn't know what happened. When I saw what happened, I was wildly disappointed. It was like, really? Are you kidding me? I, I, I was so excited to watch it, and when I did, it was a letdown. Haskins had 96 yards passing and a touchdown on three screen passes. Three passes where he didn't really do any of the work. He dumped it off to his guy. His guy did all the work. Gains of 33 yards, 34 yards, and 29 yards. He didn't do any of the work, and that's not a big concern, right? It's just, it annoys me when people use Dwayne Haskins' statistics and say, that's why he's a better quarterback than Kyler Murray. His stats were inflated massively by doing things like this, dumping off little five-yard passes, and not, not even like where he made a read. He just decided yes or no on a screen pass and went for a giant game. That happened many, many times when you watch Dwayne Haskins' film. Forget the stats. What does the film say? That is what I want to worry about. And on film, I see three problems. Three problems Dwayne Haskins has that make it so that he's not the number one quarterback prospect in this draft. The first thing is this. He's late on hitch throws. He's late on timing throws. If you're going to throw a hitch or a deep comeback, you have to throw the ball before your receiver is out of his break. If a receiver is waiting for the ball on a hitch, then the throw is late. And I saw that a lot, many, many times on film. I'm sorry, but in the NFL, you cannot get away with that. That is not possible in the NFL. Those, those passes are intercepted. They're incompletions. Defenders knock that away. That would not fly in the NFL. The second problem I see with Dwayne Haskins is that, is that he has somewhat of an average deep ball. He often underthrows passes deep downfield. This happens because he often does not follow through. You know, guys sometimes have a tendency to leave their hand hanging in the air as if you're shooting a jump shot in basketball. You have to drive your deep balls all the way down the field as if you're throwing a, a five-yard out or a 15-yard or a out or a comeback. If you're going to throw a fade route, it has to be driven with as much intention as, and as much follow-through as if you were throwing a 15-yard out or a 15-yard comeback. You got to really drive it through. You got to finish your hand all the way to your other hip. And oftentimes we see Dwayne Haskins not follow through all the way on his deep balls and it causes him to underthrow them. Dwayne Haskins' inconsistent deep ball is partly due to his third problem. The way he throws the ball concerns me, the way it comes out of his hand. He makes really good decisions. He does a good job, makes really solid reads. Usually his incom incompletions come because of a lack of accuracy. So why? The question is, why is Dwayne Haskins inaccurate? Two reasons. One is this. The ball does not come out of his hand very well. He doesn't flick his wrist very hard. And it literally, the ball literally does not spin very well out of his hand. It's a weak spiral. And a weak spiral has a lot of problems because it does not cut through the wind very well. In a really hard stadium to play in, like where the Giants play in New York, there's a lot of wind, a lot of elements. The ball will not cut through the wind very well. And Dwayne Haskins will struggle and his ball will flutter and sometimes be inaccurate because of the lack of a tight spiral. And, and not having a tight spiral and not having the ball come out of your hand very well causes a second problem. If his feet aren't perfectly lined up towards his target, he's inaccurate. And that's not good. You can't have that in the NFL. This is a difficult thing to explain. If you're watching on YouTube, I use a graphic 
that I made with a picture of my buddy Ryan. His, go follow him on Twitter. His name's Ryan Berg, B-A-E-R-G. Now, in the NFL, if a quarterback is pointed towards the left side of the field, you should be able to make throws basically anywhere on that side of the field. Anywhere to the left, if your feet are pointed somewhere in the direction of the left, you should be able to make every single throw to the left. And if your feet are pointed to the right side of the field, in the NFL, you need to be able to complete every pass to the right side of the field if your feet are simply pointed in that direction. Now, if you're an eighth grader or a young high school quarterback, please ignore everything I'm about to say. If you're a young quarterback, you got to get your feet right. You can't worry about breaking the rules until you know how to do the rules properly. But in the NFL, you've got to be accurate even if your feet aren't perfectly pointed at your target. Now, to do this, you have to separate your upper body from your lower body. Your upper body does all the work pointing your shoulder and making sure the ball goes into the right location. Your upper body throws the ball and makes it go to the right spot. The job of your lower body, your legs, it must, and it must generate force. Your legs create force so you can throw the ball with a lot of velocity. Your legs don't have to be necessarily perfectly pointed at your target, but they must be on balance. If you're not balanced, you're not going to throw a good football. Your legs matter. I'm not saying they don't, but they shouldn't have to be perfectly lined up at your target. They just got to be on balance and be creating force so you can throw the ball downfield. When everything's lined up for Dwayne Haskins, his throwing is perfect. He's highly accurate. He's fantastic. But because the ball doesn't spin out of his hand very well, he doesn't flick his wrist very well, he's not as accurate if his feet aren't perfect. That's a concern. That's a real problem in the NFL. A lot of it, a lot of it comes back to just the flick of the wrist. That's how the spiral is created. If you want to throw a spiral, you flick your wrist. Now, here's the good news. This is not only fixable. I actually found two examples on film through this watching the entire season there are two throws this year where Dwayne Haskins does exactly what we're looking for. He does one against Purdue, and he does it once against Washington. Both of them are posts. They're both on throws where his feet aren't perfectly lined up towards his target. And in both instances, his upper body and the flick of the wrist makes up the difference for the lack of great footwork and sends the ball to the proper location. What that shows us is that he does have the capacity to do what he needs to do. He just needs to develop that skill and do it more consistently. He needs to be able to throw more consistently when his feet aren't perfectly lined up to his target, still throw an accurate pass, even again if his feet aren't lined up perfectly. Dwayne Haskins is a really good quarterback, right? He's not as talented of a thrower as Kyler Murray. He also has way more bad plays on film. But I think he's going to succeed and become a successful NFL quarterback. His strength, the good news about him is that his strength is his ability to read defenses. If you give him a good head coach and a patient fan base, he can become a great NFL quarterback. He's patient. He's not afraid to get hit. He does all the little things right. Remember, it's not always about the physical ability. Aaron Rodgers had awful mechanics coming into the NFL, and Tom Brady was a joke. I believe Dwayne Haskins will be a successful NFL quarterback because all of his issues are coachable. Give him time, give him patience, give him a good head coach, he will develop and will become a successful quarterback. I respect his work ethic, and I believe in him. Okay, uh, we got to talk about this next. Look, I know it's clear I'm a big believer in Kyler Murray. I think he's the best quarterback in this draft. And I think it's very weird. I, I feel kind of like I'm alone on an island, like I'm the only person that believes in him. Uh, you know, it's funny to me the reluctance people seem to have to embrace Kyler Murray. If you look at the film, if you look at tape, He's incredible. Watch the Texas Tech game. He's the best by far. Um, so I, I really want to restate it and be very clear. I stand by it. Kyler Murray is the best quarterback in the 2019 draft class. It's not even close. It's very bizarre why people aren't, even very smart people, people I respect, still will not say what they see. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. But I, I don't know. I think a lot of time evaluators fall in love with really big really strong quarterbacks. Guys like Joe Flacco, Blake Bortles, Deshaun Kaiser, even Tyree Jackson. And all they are talking about is what this guy could become. You know, his size, his arm strength. And then he's got a ton of bad plays on film and has a lot of wildly inaccurate throws. It's, it's weird to me. Kyler Murray has substance. It's not about what Kyler Murray could become. It's about what he is. Again, the word is substance. 
It's there right now if you want to go look at it. Ah, man, I don't know. I mean, watch the tape. It's funny to me. Here's one argument that's very weird and bizarre to me about Kyler Murray. People say he had a bad game against Alabama. It's actually quite the opposite. His game against Alabama was really, really impressive. What they, Alabama did was Alabama took away his ability to run the football. At least they tried to, right? They had superior athletes, and they created a scheme with the way they pass rush to keep him in the pocket. And even without his ability to run at most of the game, he shredded them with his arm. I want to read you the stat line for Kyler Murray versus Alabama. You tell me if that's a bad game or not. 308 yards, two touchdowns passing, zero turnovers. Oh, and by the way, even with the game plan to stop him running, he ran for over 100, we ran for 109 yards and one touchdown. So again, 308 yards passing, two touchdowns passing, no turnovers, 109 yards rushing, and another touchdown. He lost 45 to 34. The problem with Oklahoma that day was their defense. Oklahoma's offense had 471 yards as a team, and Kyler Murray had 417 of those 471 yards. Most of their yards were all created by their quarterback, Kyler Murray. It's so weird to me, man. I don't get it. The Alabama game showed not that he's bad. It's not evidence that he's a bad quarterback. It's evidence that against top-level athletes, he can succeed. He shredded their man coverage. It was fantastic. And what's even more funny to me is people are still concerned with his height. It, it kills me. It's so, so bizarre to me that people still argue. Well, I literally heard someone say this last week. They said, well, he's five foot ten. How will he be able to see over the top of the offensive line because he's so short? Oh, I, th- I think the problem is people just aren't educated at how quarterbacks operate. Newsflash, not a single quarterback in the NFL sees over the offensive line. It simply doesn't happen. Nobody does. You see through windows between offensive linemen. Aaron Rodgers is six foot two. His offensive linemen are six foot seven, six foot nine. There's no way he sees over the top of them. It's not how it works. Nobody does that. And not to mention another thing that people say, well, not, they're only, not only worried about his size. Well, he's not tall enough. What about his weight? He's not heavy enough. He's going to get hurt. No. Kyler Murray slides. He rarely gets touched. I mean, honestly, watching film, Dwayne Haskins is more likely to get hurt running the ball than Kyler Murray is next year in the NFL. I don't know, man. It's so weird to me. For whatever reason, people simply cannot allow themselves to embrace Kyler Murray as the best quarterback in this draft whether they don't like him, whether it's size. I think they're just finding reasons to justify the fact they don't like him and believe in him. And I just want to say, again, I stand by what I've said. He is far and away the best quarterback in the 2019 NFL draft. I stand by it. I will always defend that. I believe that wholeheartedly. I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to take a risk and be wrong. But I do not think I'm wrong about this. I think I'm right. Again, Kyler Murray is the best quarterback in the 2019 NFL draft class. We're going to now talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. We have, we're going to do Jimmy Garoppolo's breakdown. We'll take a short break, and then we'll talk about NFL free agency. Jimmy Garoppolo is the 49ers quarterback. He played in three games last season in 2018. Near the end of his third game, he tore his ACL. It was heartbreaking. It was very sad. It was a huge, huge setback. Now, the 49ers had invested a lot of money into him. They gave him a massive contract. He's 27 years old now. A year ago when he got the contract in the 2018 offseason, he had a contract that was five years worth $137.5 million. And what's even more interesting is he's largely unproven. We don't know how good Jimmy Garoppolo really is. We think we do. We really don't know. So the question is, how good is he? And really, what did the 49ers actually pay for? Did they get a good quarterback? Are they massively overpaying a guy who sucks? That's what I wanted to find out when I looked at his film last week. So there's a story of progression to be told from the three games Jimmy Garoppolo played last year in 2018. Very, very interesting to me. Week one against the Vikings, Jimmy Garoppolo made some good throws. He was fine. He was solid. He moved well in the pocket, but he also had three interceptions, three very concerning interceptions. Uh, two of them were concerning. One of them, I'll say this, was a, an inaccurate pass. And there's not a lot to be analyzed when you throw an inaccurate pass. It's just, hey, that's the right read, but dude, 
Throw an accurate pass. Come on, man. You got to be better than that. Um, the other two were concerning. They were bad decisions where Jimmy Garoppolo was forcing the ball into really tight coverage and throwing to receivers that simply weren't open. The last one cost the 49ers a chance to tie the game. They were down 24 to 16, minute 45 left. He threw the ball into coverage, got picked off, game over. There was also a sack on third and five that was really concerning. Uh, the Vikings brought a six-man rush, and Jimmy Garoppolo simply did not see it. You know, one of the number one things young quarterbacks need to do is they must be able to identify when and where a blitz is coming from. Having pressure in your face, having guys come after you is a good thing. The more numbers, the more bodies a defense sends to blitz a quarterback, the fewer guys there are dropped back in coverage. You like having people blitz you. And uh, Jimmy Garoppolo did not do a good job identifying where pressure was coming from. But other than that, game one was, was solid. It was all right. You know, some people ha seem to have a concern that he's not using his legs when he throws a deep ball. I, I don't see it. I think I look at this, these plays and see, well, uh, the ball is going to the right location. It's, it's really accurate. And that's what matters to me. I don't care whether he's using his legs or not. The question is, can he throw a ball deep with accuracy? And yeah, he can. Uh, so I wouldn't nitpick that. Um, but the big takeaway from week one against the Vikings was Jimmy Garoppolo was forcing the ball into coverage. Now, in week two, the 49ers played the Detroit Lions. And there was a new problem. <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo was holding onto the ball way too long. 1-1,000, 2-1,000, 3-1,000, 4-1,000, 5-1,000, and Jimmy Garoppolo got sacked. It can't have it. It cannot happen. He was not playing well. He went from a week before throwing the ball into coverage to now he's not getting rid of the football. He had back-to-back -back sacks in the red zone. You can't have that. They look almost identical. If you're watching on YouTube, I might even play them simultaneously. Um, and some of these problems were receivers were not doing a good job getting away from press man coverage. But some of it was simply Jimmy Garoppolo chose the wrong matchups. He was not throwing to the right side of the field. I mean, more and more, you got to manipulate linebackers, move them where you want. And Jimmy Garoppolo did not look in command, and he did not look prepared when the side of the field he chose wasn't open. But all in all, look, he had a good game. He made some good throws. Uh, the 49ers won 30-27, to 27, but they should not have won the game. Here's the biggest issue from the Lions game. Week two, this happened. The 49ers had the ball on their own 43-yard line with two minutes and 24 seconds left. Jimmy Garoppolo on third and two stares down a wide receiver to the left side of the field, telling the defense exactly where he's going, telegraphs it, throws an interception into coverage. Not good at all. He forced an interception into coverage. It's third and two. The 49ers are up by three points. And I understand Jimmy Garoppolo's thinking as well, this first down would give us a better chance to win the game. We could run up the clock. And even if we don't run up the clock, we could run the clock way down and force the Detroit Lions to use their timeouts and have a harder time winning this football game. Now, luckily, there was holding on the defense on the other side of the field. The interception was called back. Eventually, the 49ers did win the game. It all worked out. And look, I'll even credit Jimmy Garoppolo. He ran down that interception, tackled the guy, saved a touchdown. But the Lions should have had the ball first and goal from the four-yard line with two minutes left. This all happened because Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't patient. He wasn't patient. He forced it on a third down, threw the ball into coverage where a guy wasn't open. And that leads us to week three. The 49ers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. This time it's third and 16. The 49ers are losing 14 to zero. And it's, this is a time where we see growth from Jimmy Garoppolo. The Chiefs back way off into coverage. Jimmy Garoppolo is patient. He does the right thing. He checks the ball down. He takes what the defense gives him. And on third and 16, the 49ers gain 15 yards. This sets up a fourth and one. The 49ers go for it. They get the first down. And the very next play, he throws a long touchdown pass. This all happened because Jimmy Garoppolo was patient. He didn't force it into coverage. He took what the defense gave him, even though he really wanted that first down. We saw growth. We saw patience. And all that time, all the reps, they all paid off. It's a real shame he tore his ACL later in this game. So where is Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback? That's the big question. And the truth is, is that he's still developing. He's still getting better every single week. Um, you know, he's only played in a handful of games as a starter. And he did make some good throws last year. He moved really well in the pocket before he got hurt. And uh, he did some good things. 
But the reality is, if the 49ers want to make a deep playoff push, he's got to get much, much better. It's really sad he got hurt last year. He missed out on a lot of valuable time that could have helped him develop and become a better quarterback. Now, the good news is this. All of the mistakes he's making are entirely fixable. They're all coachable. We even already saw a lot of improvement from game one to two to three last year. He did get better at taking what the defense gives him and not forcing it into coverage. So I truly believe by the end of next season, we're going to see a different quarterback week 17 than we saw on film last year, than we even see at the beginning of next year. From week one to week 17 throughout the course of next season, I think he's going to dramatically improve. So there's hope. Jimmy Garoppolo does a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of hope and there's a lot of reason to believe Jimmy Garoppolo is the future quarterback of the 49ers. I wouldn't bail on him yet. And I think there's, again, the word is hope. Jimmy Garoppolo can improve and can become the kind of quarterback that can lead the 49ers deep into the playoffs. Okay, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do NFL free agency and uh, we will revisit very briefly Dwayne Haskins. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, there's something we got to address really quickly. Uh, you know, I'm the guy who makes strong opinion sports. You're the group of people who listen to strong opinion sports. And uh, we got to talk about this. Uh, strong opinion sports is growing like crazy. It's amazing. I love it. I'm so grateful. I love what I do. Um, and I've gotten a lot of offers from people who are interested in introducing revenue streams to strong opinion sports. And I, I just want to tell you guys, I'm not ready for that at all. Uh, someday I will be like my ultimate goal with strong opinion sports is to build this into a company that makes money and makes revenue. Uh, but right now I'm in college. I have a bunch of student loans paying for my school and I hope someday again, I have a small business, strong opinion sports that helps me pay off all my loans and pay off my school. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm not there yet. You know, I love strong opinion sports. I do strong opinion sports cause I love it. It's my favorite thing in the entire world. And I, I don't really feel ready yet to operate my own small business and worry about monetization and worry about revenue streams and advertisers. And that just, it's a lot right now. And I, I'm not there yet. I'm not in a place in my life where I'm ready to deal with that. Um, I just want to keep growing. You know, someday when our numbers are really big and I'm out of college and maybe before college, I don't know, maybe it's before I leave college. I don't know, but I'm not in a place this very minute uh, that I want to monetize. I want to get to like a hundred thousand people and um, maybe 250,000, maybe 300,000. I don't know. Um, but all I know right now is this very minute, what's the date? It's uh, March 16th, 2019. It's my birthday, actually. I'm not in a place where I'm ready to monetize. I'm just not there yet. And um, I, I just, right now, all my focus and my attention is on three things. It's on school, getting really good grades, doing a good job, playing college football, and making the very best podcast I possibly can make, making good content. Um, someday when I involve money in strong opinion sports and make this a business, um, I really don't want anything to change. I like the intimacy. I like the authenticity between you and me and the fact that you can Instagram DM me and I can talk to you guys and we have a good, I think we have a good rapport together. Um, but that's what I want to do. You know, someday I hope Strong Opinion Sports is my full-time job, but I'm just not ready for that yet. I'm not in a place where I want to deal with advertisers and deal with that. I just like making it for fun. That's my favorite thing. Um, and if you believe in that, if you believe in my dream, if you believe in Strong Opinion Sports, the best thing you can do, a lot of people say, I want to give you money. I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, the best thing you can do to help me grow Strong Opinion Sports and help me as a human is tell your friends about this podcast. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Um, so with that, let's now talk about NFL free agency. So much has happened in the last week in the NFL. Uh, it's, it's a ton. I mean, look, it's... <laughs> I'm going to talk about the things that interest me. I can't keep track of all of it. I have 11 teams I want to discuss right now. Uh, some of those teams did things that were brilliant. Other teams did things that were baffling and confusing to me. And there are three teams that I find really, really intriguing. We'll talk about all of them in a minute. Um, but first, I want to talk about the teams that baffled me. The Tennessee Titans traded for quarterback Ryan Tannehill. They traded with the Dolphins, got the Dolphins' former franchise quarterback, and this is truly baffling. I don't understand this. The question is this, why? Why would you trade for Ryan Tannehill? What is the motive behind this trade? And what kind of message does this send to your franchise? I mean, do the Titans view Ryan Tannehill as a backup? Is he a potential guy who could usurp and start over Marcus Mariota someday? I don't know. Are they bringing in a mentor to help Marcus Mariota? 
again, or are they trying to replace their quarterback? I, I nobody knows, and it's they haven't made it very clear. And the lack of clarity to me is what makes this all bizarre. It sends a very weird message to your franchise, to your fan base, and even to your starting quarterback, Marcus Mariota. I, I don't know what to make of this, and it's it's a very weird move that is just, again, the word I, I come up with is baffling. Now, I will say this. If Ryan Tannehill ever does become the Titans' starting quarterback, you can at least say, well, they got him for a really, really low price. The Titans got Ryan Tannehill and a sixth-round pick, and all they had to give up was a 2020 fourth-round pick and a 2019 seventh-round pick. If ever Ryan Tannehill does become the Titans' starting quarterback, that is a bargain, bargain price. Um, but right now, I just have no idea why they did it. I don't think he's there to start over Marcus Mariota, but maybe he is. Maybe he is. Dude, we have no idea. And it's just a very, very bizarre move that makes very little sense to me. Now, uh, the Broncos, <laughs> they're another baffling team. They spent a ton of money on a right tackle, Jawan James. They gave him a four-year deal worth $51 million, $32 million guaranteed. Uh, I get it. Like, I understand where the Broncos are coming from. They want to make their offensive line better. But man, they're paying a guy, they're paying an average offensive lineman a salary as if he was one of the top linemen in the NFL. I, I just don't see it. Like, Juwan James is a good lineman. He's really good. He's a starter for sure on a lot of teams. But he's not worth the money they gave him. And I, I just find that baffling. But here's, here's the if, <laughs> we're going to use the word baffling. Here's what's truly baffling. Everything the New York Giants have done this offseason just completely is bizarre to me. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, the New York Giants traded away their best wide receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. And, and really, Odell Beckham Jr. is not only their best wide receiver, he was one of the best in the entire NFL. They traded away Odell Beckham Jr. In return, the Giants got a 2019, the 17th, uh, 17th overall pick, a third round pick, and a new safety to replace Landon Collins, Jabril Peppers. That's weird to me. I, I don't understand that move. Now, they did make one move that really makes sense to me. Uh, they signed Antoine Bethea, so now they have two safeties on their defense, Antoine Bethea and Jabril Peppers. So I like that. That's really solid. But it gets really weird. After trading away Odell Beckham Jr., they signed wide receiver Golden Tate, a veteran wide receiver. They gave him a really big contract, four years, $37.5 million, $23 million guaranteed. Oi, I don't get it. I, 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 so look, you trade away Odell Beckham Jr., and you replace him with a slot wide receiver, which is really weird to me. It doesn't make any sense for your roster because you already have Sterling Shepard. And they didn't really fill a need. They signed an older veteran wide receiver for a lot of money, a guy who's out of their prime. And it just doesn't make any sense. You, you now have two number twos, two Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard, and you don't have a number one wide receiver like Odell Beckham Jr. And you signed Golden Tate to a lot of money. I, I, all is very bizarre to me. It's a weird move. I, I personally am really disappointed. I think the Giants are going to pick up a quarterback in the NFL draft. And I was really hoping that we would see at some point Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham Jr., and their young rookie quarterback all play together. And we're not going to get that. It's, it's very weird to me that the Giants, what the Giants are doing doesn't seem to make any sense at all. You know, their, their moves seem to lack direction. And there's no clear strategy behind what they're doing. I, I can't see it. Maybe the Giants have a plan that nobody knows about. Um, but it's, it's very weird to me, and I just have no idea what's going on in the Giants' front office. So those were the three teams I found baffling. The Broncos, the Titans, and the Giants. The Giants, the Giants are the worst. They don't make any sense to me. But a couple of teams did really, really well. There are five teams I thought did really, really well in the NFL offseason moves. The first team I want to talk about is the Cleveland Browns. We just talked about them a minute ago. The Browns traded for Odell Beckham Jr., fantastic i love it look they signed kareem hunt uh a guy who has an eight game suspension which really all things considered an eight game suspension is relatively low for kareem hunt and he's going to make an impact next season the browns wow they are scary they're going to have kareem hunt jarvis landry antonio callaway nick chubb their quarterback baker mayfield they are stacked all across the board on offense now they also signed a defensive tackle sheldon richardson Another great move, another pro bowler. He's a stud. He's a defensive tackle. Their defense got better. Their offense is now terrifying. I love it. I really, really love what the Browns are doing. Here's what you can say about the Browns. Someone commented this on YouTube. I really liked it. I agreed with it. The Browns' problem is no longer talent. 
What that means is now they have to figure out what is their problem. The problem for the Browns and what the Browns need to do. They're super talented. And now they need to develop and make sure they are actively creating a culture of winning. I like their odds of doing this. They have a quarterback, Baker Mayfield. He sets the tone for the Cleveland Browns. You can never say again the Browns aren't talented. They are incredibly talented. Now they need to develop a culture. I don't think the Browns are a Super Bowl team. I think they are a playoff team. But if they can organize all of their players, all of their talent, and continue building a new culture, they are a team. The Browns will make the playoffs next year in 2019 if, and if they can again, organize all of their talent and build a winning culture. Now it's up for the Browns. They got to build a culture, but they certainly have the talent in order to win a lot of games and make the playoffs. Man, it's exciting if you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns. They've never in my lifetime been this interesting. The Browns are fantastic. We're talking about them potentially making the playoffs next year. That, <laughs> that is really cool as a football fan. The Raiders, I think, also hit a home run so far this offseason with their moves. Uh, the first thing they did was traded for Antonio Brown, who I think is, personally, if you ask me, he's the best wide receiver in the NFL. Um, but at least we can all acknowledge, whether you agree or not, he's at least one of the best wide receivers in the entire NFL. Um, I, I love that move. They added him. That's fantastic. They also added a new left tackle, Trent Brown. He's 25 years old. He brings stability to the Raiders' offensive line. That's fantastic. Um, I do think they slightly overpaid for him. They gave him a four-year deal worth $66 million. That's a lot of money for Trent Brown. But he's young. They're investing in him. And I, I really think he's going to bring stability. Again, he's going to really help the Raiders on the offensive line. And the Raiders are spending money. They are going for it. But it's not just that those two moves that really excite me. They also signed a safety LaMarcus Joyner from the Rams. They signed receiver Tyrell Williams from the Chargers. I love Tyrell Williams. He's a guy from uh, Western Oregon University, which is nearby me. They're also pairing him with Antonio Brown. Tyrell Williams and Antonio Brown together are going to work really, really well. All the numbers Tyrell Williams had last year, he had 41 catches, 653 yards, they're going to explode and go up dramatically because teams are not going to know how to cover Antonio Brown. They're going to tremendously, they're going to uh, invest a lot of time and a lot of bodies to covering Antonio Brown. And as a result, Tyrell Williams, a really talented young wide receiver, is going to be open a lot more than he was in the past and I think could play a similar Juju Smith-Schuster role. What we saw with the Steelers was Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster work really well together and create opportunities for each other. That is what Tyrell Williams and Antonio Brown are going to do together with the Raiders. I am so excited to watch how they work off of each other. Now, to me, here's another thing the Raiders have. I've talked about the Raiders' moves. That's fantastic. They still have three first-round draft picks in the 2019 NFL Draft. There's a lot coming ahead for the Raiders, and I cannot wait to watch how they continue to build their roster. Another team that made really great moves so far in NFL free agency is the 49ers. The first thing they did is they traded for defensive end D Ford, a pass rusher DN guy from the Chiefs. Uh, they traded for him. They gave up a second round pick in 2020. And they re-signed him to a five-year deal worth $87.5 million. They said, we want D Ford. You're a great pass rusher. We'll bring you in. We will invest in you. Um, I love it, man. They spent a lot of money, but they got their pass rusher. They wanted a guy like D Ford. It's fantastic for the 49ers. Uh, the 49ers also signed running back Tevin Coleman from the Falcons. He's worked before with their head coach, uh, Kyle Shanahan. They also signed linebacker Quan Alexander. Uh, a lot of people are saying Quan Alexander is an overrated signing. Sure. Um, I, I think the reason why they did this and what I like about this signing is they said, we want a linebacker. We've been trying to fill a need for a long time. They had to release Reuben Foster after he could not keep it together off the field. They brought in Quan Alexander. They're trying to fill a need. I'm okay with that. The defense for the 49ers is really, really close, and I like the moves they made so far this offseason. Also worth noting, look, the 49ers still have the number two overall pick. They're going to continue to build their defense and build their roster, and uh, they got a lot of good stuff ahead if you're a 49ers fan. The Ravens also did really well. I'm proud of the Ravens. I thought they might uh, make a move to go get Le'Veon Bell. They did not do that. They found an even better really a better deal at running back. They signed Mark Ingram, the running back from the Saints, to a three-year deal worth $15 million. Uh, really reasonable, really good job. You're pairing Lamar Jackson and a really good running back together. That's going to be exciting to watch. Uh, now, the money I don't love but is really still a good move is the Ravens signed Earl Thomas 
the Pro Bowl safety and probably the best safety in the NFL to a four-year deal worth $55 million. Uh, it's expensive. Look, I, I, I don't know uh, that I would have given him this much money, but he's still a fantastic player. And they made they went after it. They got a really, really good safety, and, and I can't blame them. Here's what's going to happen next year. Uh, they're going to play the Browns. The Browns have Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway, uh, David Njoku, a bunch of weapons all over the place. The Ravens are really preparing themselves for that game by getting Earl, Earl Thomas. And uh, I cannot wait to watch. The Ravens-Browns next year is going to be a fantastic, fantastic game. You saw the, the Ravens invested in their their their, uh, their pass defense with Earl Thomas. The, Raven, the Browns got better at throwing the football. And the Ravens have gotten better at running the ball. And as a result, the Browns have reacted by signing Sheldon Richardson to get better at running. Browns-Ravens next year is going to be a really good game. I cannot wait to watch. Now, uh, the final team I thought that made brilliant moves and really just one brilliant move that I think is, is not, it's not a massive move that's all over headlines, but it's a move worth noting. The Patriots made a move and signed for Michael Bennett, defensive end from the Philadelphia Eagles. He's 33 years old. He's a three-time Pro Bowler. And um, what's worth noting here is that Bill Belichick's best thing is working with defensive linemen. He worked with Lawrence Taylor years ago with the Giants, and I think this could be an, a very, very underrated move. He's older, he's 33 years old, but Michael Bennett paired with Bill Belichick could be a really interesting match. Um, and it's also, look, Martellus Bennett is Michael Bennett's brother. Michael Bennett knows what the Patriots are about. He's, his brother played for them for years, and uh, I think Mar Michael Bennett could be a steal the Patriots got so far in free agency, and I really, really like that move. Um, I'm excited to see what kind of impact Michael Bennett has in the future for the New England Patriots. Now, uh, that leaves us with three teams that neither amaze me or intrigue me. They are, sorry, neither amaze me or disappoint me. Three teams really, really intrigued me. Uh, the, the Lions, the Colts, and the Jets for all different reasons. This is why the Lions offseason moves really, really excited me and really intrigued me. I don't know if they're good or not yet, but they're, they're worth noting, and I'm curious in what's going to happen with them. Lions head coach Matt Patricia is, uh, really was the, fo is, is the former Patriots defensive coordinator. He spent a lot of time in New England. And uh, he's gone out and signed two former Patriots. He signed former Patriot wide receiver Danny Amendola, and he signed former Patriot defensive end Trey Flowers. Here's why it's really curious and really intriguing. It's appeared like for the entire year so far that Matt Patricia, since he got hired, has been trying to develop and establish the New England Patriots locker room and culture in the, with the Detroit Lions. I think it's possible that these two moves really help promote that change. They're trying to promote their new culture and change to become more like the New England Patriots. I think signing two former Patriots is a really move uh, that's indicative of that. I don't know that Damini Amendola is going to make a huge impact at wide receiver for the Lions, but he's a guy who gets their culture and understands what it takes to, really to, to operate their system. And I think that's why he was brought in to the Lions. Now, uh, finally, the teams that really, really intrigue me are the Jets and the Colts. The Jets and the Colts both had more cap space than any other team going into the 2019 NFL free agency. And uh, so the Colts had the most, the Jets had second most. Last season, the Colts made the playoffs. The Colts had a good year last year, and the Jets did not. The Jets went 4-12. and They were last in their division. And as a result, with all their money and all the stuff they had prepared— uh, these two teams took quite opposite approaches. The Jets signed a bunch of players. The Colts have not. The Colts have really sat on the sidelines for much of the NFL free agency. The Jets did this. The Jets signed a new linebacker, C.J. Mosley. He's a four-time Pro Bowler. He's 26 years old. Got a five-year deal worth $85 million, $51 million guaranteed. The Jets said, we're going for it. We're spending a lot of money. We're going to invest heavily in players and make our team better. They also signed running back Le'Veon Bell, a three-time Pro Bowl or two-time All-Pro. They signed Le'Veon Bell to a four-year deal worth $52.5 million, $25 million guaranteed. Uh, honestly, look, I think that that's a, a lower price than I expected anybody signed Le'Veon Bell for, which means the market for him was probably really weak. There probably weren't a lot of teams that wanted Le'Veon Bell, but um, they made a move and signed a high-level free agent to make their team better. The Jets also signed wide receiver Jamison Crowder, a 25-year-old solid slot wide receiver. He makes their offense a little bit better. Um, they also traded, in the end, traded for, I'm going to get this wrong, Kelechi Osamalele. <laughs> wow, I'm butchering this. It's 
Kelechi Osamele. That is the offensive guard, a two-time pro bowler that the Jets traded for from the Oakland Raiders. Um, I like what the Jets have done. They made a ton of moves and spent a ton of money. The question is, will it pay off? Is it smart money? They spent money. Spending money isn't necessarily good. Now, what the Colts did on the flip side, the Colts had even more money than the Jets had to spend. And the Colts have crickets. They didn't spend any money. They made basically no moves. They signed like literally one player, um, and they're all backups. They're all reserves. I'm really curious to see how these two teams contrast in the future. Do the Jets get way better? Do the Colts suffer because they didn't sign anybody in free agency? Or did the Colts do the right thing and not spend any stupid money and not bring in any high-level free agents because they said, we're going to only invest in players we like, we're going to draft really well, and we're going to make sure we get good deals. I'm really curious to see in the future how the contrast and strategy between the Jets and the Colts pays off. Which team wins in the end? I don't know. Right now, I think the Colts are better, but the Jets are up and coming. They have a lot of good players. They have a really good young quarterback, and I think a young, solid offensive coach with Adam Gase. Um, watch the Colts and watch the Jets. Watch how they converge or diverge in the coming months and which team looks better and better next season. That's what I want to watch. So again, um, three teams that were baffling. The Broncos, the Titans, and the Giants are baffling to me. I don't know what they're doing. Five teams were brilliant. I think the Patriots, the 49ers, the the Raiders, the Browns, and the Ravens were all brilliant. I loved their moves. And three teams I found really intriguing that I'm not sure are good or bad yet are the Lions, the Jets, and the Colts. Those three teams, I'm on the fence. I don't know what to think of those. Um, But those are the 11 teams I wanted to cover so far in NFL free agency. 11 teams I thought were really fascinating that grabbed my attention and I thought I had something worth saying about them. Now, um, I want to talk about this next. I uh, Well, first I need water. I'm I'm talking a little quick and rambling. Um, I did an interview with SB Nation the other day, and I was asked what I thought of Josh Rosen. Uh, someone asked what I thought, who I thought Josh Rosen would compare to. And, and you know, I kind of offhand, I said, well, yeah, Eli Manning compares really well to Josh Rosen. I was like, yeah, here, this is exactly what I said. I think I said, I went, eh, Eli Manning. And I, I hate that. I hate that I did that. Uh, and I want to be very careful in the future to not compare players and not make projections like that. Uh, I think player comparisons are really lazy. I'm not a fan of them. Uh, you see that a lot at this time of year, late in the, around the draft, people say, who does this compare and project to? What kind of guy, you know, could this guy project as the next Andrew Luck? Could this guy project as the next Michael Vick or this or that? Um, I do not think that's a good way to do things at all. I'm not a fan. I know that making a comparison grabs people's attention. Like when you say, uh, I'll make this comparison throughout this entire topic. When you say Jimmy Garoppolo is the next Tony Romo, people go, oh, their ears perk up. They have familiarity with Tony Romo, and it grabs their attention. But it's lazy. It's a lazy way to really share information. If you're making a comparison, it's really important to answer why you're making the comparison. Why are you making this? Why are you saying these things? And again, you could compare Jimmy Garoppolo and Tony Romo, um, but if you're going to do that, you have to explain. You have to say, well, Jimmy Garoppolo holds the ball really low, like a bit lower in the pocket. And he, do, he uses his core and his hips to throw the ball. It makes him look kind of casual, like he's a lazy thrower. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo also has a really solid ability to run around outside the pocket and extend plays. When you say all those things, you go, oh, that makes sense. That's why Jimmy Garoppolo compares to Tony Romo. But it's also interesting when you flesh it out. Um, and when you do that, when you flesh it out and really say what you mean, it kind of removes any reason to actually make a comparison because... You're just saying things about Jimmy Garoppolo that make up who he is. Um, And I don't know that we often make helpful comparisons. We put athletes in boxes saying, he projects as this, you project as this, and we don't have a very open mind. Um, And we really don't properly explain their skill sets. I, again, am not a fan of player comparisons. I don't like saying, this guy's the next blank. He's the next Michael Vick. He's the next Vince Young. He's the next Sam Darnold. Um... I just think player comparisons are lazy. They're distracting. They don't really get to the point very well. And I'm going to make a big effort in the future to not make player comparisons. I'm not a fan. And I, as, as little as I, I don't want to make them as little as I can. I'm trying to get away from them and trying to avoid doing them in the future. I think, again, they're lazy and unhelpful. Last topic of the day I want to talk about. Um, there are two things that young quarterbacks can learn from 
by watching Dwayne Haskins, watching Dwayne Haskins' mistakes. The number one thing that Dwayne Haskins does that young quarterbacks should not do is he's late on hitches and comebacks. Uh, if a guy's out of his break waiting for the football, the throw's too late, right? You got to throw the ball before they get out of their break. And if a guy's waiting around, looking at a quarterback, staring at you, waiting for the ball, it's simply too late. That's not a good way to play quarterback. It means you're throwing the ball late. The number two thing you can take away from watching Dwayne Haskins is this. When you throw the ball deep, follow all the way through to your hip. I can't do it with a microphone in front of me. But you often see that guys, when they throw a deep ball, leave their hands up and out, kind of like they're throwing, shooting a jump shot in basketball. Do not do that. Do not shoot jump shots in basketball. If you're going to throw a deep ball in football, if you're going to throw a long, like a streak or a fade, make sure your hand comes all the way down and finishes at your hip. People don't realize it's a different trajectory, but you've got to put a lot of emphasis and a lot of purpose behind the throw. If you throw a deep pass, like a fade or a streak, you got to throw the ball with as much intention as if you were throwing a deep comeback or a deep out route. Really drive it. You're driving it more up than down and out, but your thumb should finish on the opposite side of your leg, and opposite side of your hips, and you got to drive the ball. A lot, a lot of times you see young quarterbacks leave their hand up in the air. They do not drive the football downfield when throwing a deep ball, and it really, really hurts them. So again, guys, those are two things you can learn uh, that young quarterbacks can learn by watching Dwayne Haskins. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. This is all I have for today. Uh, thank you so much. I got to edit this. I'm sorry it's so late. Um, I'm dying. <laughs> I got next week. So next week, the podcast is going to be late. Early next week, I have two papers. I have an exam uh, to do on Tuesday. And uh, the next episode of Strong Opinion Sports will not come out until next Thursday or Friday. I just, early in the week next week, I got to focus on school, got to focus on football. And uh, later in the week, a podcast will come out with a breakdown. I'm hoping to break down Dak Prescott, uh, Gardner Minshew, the quarterback from Washington State. I want to break down Drew Locke. A lot of good stuff is coming, but give me patience. Another episode of Strong Opinion Sports probably won't come out until next Thursday or Friday. Guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much. And uh, ba-dum, bum, bam, we are done. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. And I, I want to I ask for your help. I want this show to grow. I want more people to watch and more people to listen to this podcast. My dream is to do this show as my full-time job. I want to own it myself. I want to do it on the internet and have complete control. I don't want to do it for CBS or ESPN. I don't want to work for a big network. I want to own it myself. And if you believe in that dream, please do me a huge favor. Help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast. Share it on Facebook. Share a link on Twitter. Maybe you screenshot it. Put it on Instagram. I, I, I don't have a marketing strategy beyond this. This is all I have. You know, a lot of people, one of the most common comments I get on YouTube is, you have great content. We love your stuff. You deserve more viewers. What you should do is you should buy ad spaces on Facebook or Twitter or promote yourself and buy, buy, revenue, like buy ads. I have no money. I am a broke college kid. I, I can't buy ad spaces. I, I, don't have, I don't have money to pay for books. And so my plan, this is my marketing plan. This is my strategy. All I plan to do is put every ounce of effort I have into making the very best podcast I can. I believe if I make a great product that people believe in, that people like, then they will share it with their friends. And so if you agree with that, if you believe in the show, if you like what I do, please do me a huge favor. Tell your friends about it. Help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast.